0: This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I wrote the recent book, Find Your Happy at Work, and I've always been interested in how to create meaningful careers. Our guest today, Jeff DeBelco, has built a career that seems to be intensely meaningful. Jeff is a professor at Ohio University's Boinovich School of Leadership and Public Service, which, by the way, is the sponsor of this podcast. And Jeff has deep connections in the climate change community. Among them, he's associated with the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute and the Woodrow Wilson Center's Environmental Change and Security Program. Today, Jeff will bring us up to date about new trends in the way nations are addressing the climate change crisis. He'll discuss how challenges related to our aging populations are converging with threats from global warming. And we'll talk about career opportunities that might allow you to play a role in the complex effort to protect our environment. (laughs) Jeff, thank you so much for coming back today to Jazz About Work. I always learn so much from you, and I, I think there's a deep interest out there in climate change the solutions and the careers even about um, how people can get engaged in fighting the battle Uh, but before we get into all of those kind of things I always like to hear what you're up to you have quite a varied career Uh, bring us up to date on what you're doing these days would you
0: Sure thing. Well, thanks, Bevan. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to participate on Jazz About Work. It's uh, something I've learned a lot from uh, listening to you and engaging with guests. Um, So I'm uh, working at the interface of research and policy in a variety of uh, arenas, uh, particularly focused on how issues around environment and climate change connect to a, a broad set of issues, in particular Um, in the local setting, what that means here in southeastern Ohio and in Appalachian, Ohio, and then internationally. um, At the same time, while it may seem like a totally different conversation, there are actually quite a few connections um, and understanding what uh, efforts to build resilience in the face of uh, a warming world looks like uh, between states, within states that are uh, near neighbors and and far away. So that's work that's done often, uh, in fact, always in partnership with others. Um, the problems that we face today are not ones that are single sector, single individual uh, solution sets, and so um, uh, I have a, a very fortunate to have a variety of partners um, at, at all those scales in which I'm working.
1: Jeff, I know you're connected with so many different elements related to environmental uh, remediation and uh, many other issues. But one thing I'm kind of fascinated about that I know we had a side conversation you told me a bit about, and that's the convergence between issues related to the aging population and uh, to issues related to uh, climate change. So some people are calling it the the green-gray convergence. W- would you tell us about that, please?
0: Sure thing, Bev. Well, this is an illustration, I think, of how um, we need to understand uh, how climate change and, and being in a warmer world means um, something for everyone. And uh, at the same time, I fell, uh, fell prey to the notion that um, uh friends and colleagues who work on uh, issues of older, da- older adults and an aging population and gerontology social work that that didn't have a lot of immediate connection to the work I was doing on sustainability and climate resilience. And I couldn't have been more wrong. And it, of course, once you think about it, it's it's natural, right? If we're trying to make communities more age-friendly for older adults, although it would make them better for, for all members of the population, um, that the, the World Health Organization and AARP, in fact, suggests that there are eight domains that we work in, to do that and they're familiar ones transportation, health, infrastructure, housing, uh, community engagement, social inclusion these are these are areas that are the public square right and and are central to all our lives at the same time when I think about well, if we're working towards sustainability and climate resilience, that's about transportation and infrastructure and housing and health and and so in fact it's the same agenda and we have evidence of of that recognition but precious little systematic collaboration across those uh, across those worlds to not just address the real challenges or threats right we know that extreme heat events are hazardous literally hazardous for the health particularly for older adults um, and and uh, ex- extreme weather events and the the challenges in communicating and and taking care of and evacuating people in the in the face of fire and flooding and extreme storms, and at the same time um, that we need to proactively tackle how the future is going to be different than the past in a warmer world, right? What we think we have seen before may not be what comes in the future. There are also real opportunities, synergies, positive ones that um, working towards common goals about uh, accessible cities where services are available to all uh, in in ways that are um, win-wins in terms of making them age-friendly for older adults and Uh, pursuing sustainability and climate resilience goals. So we're doing that uh, literally here in Athens County. Athens County has become an age-friendly Athens County community. uh, And we have uh, innovated with that World Health Organization framework and added an extra domain on sustainability and climate resilience. And we're taking that up to the state level and partnering with folks across the uh, CAFCO, the Coalition of Age-Friendly Communities of Ohio, and additionally, um, that kind of local to international connection, uh, studying it in terms of experiences overseas so that we can both learn and share experiences.
1: It's interesting work. I uh, have been kind of reading about it since actually I think you turned me on to this issue or this approach a while ago. And sometimes there's kind of almost a nasty dialogue out there. On the one hand, People are saying, well, look, older adults are really much more impacted by things like heat and bad air because they're more vulnerable. They're more likely to get sick and die after a terrible climate, um, a disaster of some sorts. And a response from some to that has been, well, you people started it. Uh, It's only fair that older people should suffer more. It seems to be part of the tone of the response. But I think there's a whole different way of of looking at this the older adults are not just the people who are going to suffer the most to me it feels like they're a huge resource of volunteers uh, and experienced uh, professionals to help get into the battle against climate change does that do you see any of that happening Are, are are groups representing older adults starting to be activists around this
0: a- Absolutely, I think there's uh, there are tremendous synergies and assets in having this dialogue and collaborating. And I think those intergenerational finger pointing that you're you're suggesting often is limited to uh, older adults in public office who are not perceived to be taking climate change seriously, rather than older adults more broadly. Um, so I think some of the maybe uh, youth activists would be pointing towards uh, those who have been. Governing for so long in terms of creating the problems and then not um, taking them as seriously as they feel they need to. I think when we widen out the conversation to um, the intergenerational collaborations, uh, the experience experts, the older adults in our community have tremendous uh, lived experience and resources to bring to this conversation in terms of how to adapt in the face of uncertainty, how to See that variability that is uh, so common in a warmer world as the norm rather than the exception, and what um, what changes we have to to do in order to involve. And so that learning from those um, those experiences, those experienced experts, has been um, truly invaluable. Um, there are very explicit advocacy efforts. Uh, Elders Climate Action is a group that comes together to advocate for policies that they feel are are necessary for addressing climate change. Uh, But at the same time, I think it's important to understand, and we don't often frame it this way, but climate is not a single issue that has the climate people who take care of it and the advocates and uh, those in government in one particular office that would respond or one set of companies that would respond. It really is such an all-encompassing set of changes that it means that we have to uh, no matter where we sit, so to speak, uh, in in society, in our roles in the public or private sector, um, it has something to say about uh, where we're going and where we've been. And so in that sense, getting out of our, our notion that this is a single sector issue, it has implications for all of us in terms of where we live, how we live, how we move around our our, our uh, health, our wealth, and uh, the challenges that we face, But also the opportunities in, that come with making some of the uh, the green transitions that uh, many think, including myself, need to make in order to to uh, adapt and become resilient in the face of these changes. And so, in that way, I really do see the intergenerational dialogue as an asset. And it, and it again, from a from a career perspective, what it really means is we have to talk to folks that we don't always. Uh, easily come in contact with. We have to seek out these other voices. We have to put ourselves in in um, situations and forums that allow us to interact with a wider set of people than our normal groups. And so I'd I like to say that if you walk into a room and you know everybody already, you're not getting out enough. And so that really is critically uh, important approach on these issues.
1: I uh, couldn't agree with you more. I, I think... Th- everybody benefits if you can bring different groups of people together and and they can actually talk about things but in in terms of older adults becoming activists when that happens i it, it appears to me that the older adults in some ways are fearless just because they're not they don't have as much to risk they've already Uh, many cases survived earlier policy battles and things like that. So sometimes the older uh, members of an effort are willing to take the hit. They're willing to um, speak up when it would be awkward or um, provide uh, the funding out of of their savings, things like that. So different uh, age groups, uh, different career um, paths allow a, a mix of activities, and that creates a stronger effort. Do you yeah. agree that for, you're seeing for, that?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think there are lots of motivations. Some of them are intergenerational, literally wanting to have a a safe and better world for their children and their grandchildren, and they frame it in those terms. Some, uh, in many of the kind of conversations I've had in church basements across the county. Um, are understanding this as a role and a responsibility and a, a moral and ethical responsibility to um, to that informed by their faith to respond in terms of um, uh, ethically taking care of of the creation they've been endowed with um, and and so see it from that uh, perspective and again can part of the importance of having conversations with a diverse set of uh, groups, even if um, they're kind of common in age group or demographic, um, that they they're they're meeting and coming together in in different ways. And I do think that there is that um, the lessons of experience that give great weight and legitimacy to the voice. but also, I find, Um, Some many willing to understand that uh, we have to change. And the way we've done things in the past, just because we've had those experiences, are not necessarily going to serve us. And part of that is predicated on a uh, a constant willingness and interest and curiosity in learning and understanding that these issues uh, present new challenges. And so I'm um, so inspired by so many of the conversations with older adults who who just want to learn more, right? They in in part say, yes, of course I have experience, but I realize um, there's, there's so much more to learn and understand and the new realities we face demand that we all do that.
1: I think learning is widespread learning is a critical part of making a, a big social change always. But on the topic of learning, um, I want to shift gears a little bit. I One of the things that I'm noticing looking at the various conversations I have with many people about careers is that addressing the environmental challenges we're all facing can be part of many new jobs in just about any kind of organization. And I'm intrigued that the Voinovich School has come up with a, a new online master's degree uh, that might help people who are already working somewhere to develop the knowledge and the skills to to play um, a bigger role in helping their organizations or communities address climate-related issues. Would you tell us about that? I think you're one of the founders of that degree, aren't you, at the Boinovich School?
0: Yeah, well, we're very pleased um, to have a, a new online uh, degree that... Uh, we call uh, a masters in sustainability, security, and resilience. And in some ways, those are big topics and may be seen as diverse and not necessarily connected. But the objective that we have is to fill a gap with um, a, a broad set of often in-work professionals, right? Folks who are have chosen a path and they are are they're well into it and they want to in that kind of notion of continued learning to understand how they might um, face new challenges and new opportunities in a warmer world. And so doing that means that they have to, no matter where they sit, public or private sector and and level and geography, that they have to kind of proactively understand what these challenges mean in the different areas. And, um, and work differently as a result. And in some cases, that means that people are interested in, in entirely changing what they have been doing and move into a new area because there are, as you say, um, a growing number of, of, quote unquote, new positions or newly evolved positions that take account of making our communities, our states, our countries more Uh, resilient in the face of these challenges, whether it's mitigating climate change and trying to lessen the problem or adapting to the change that we've already seen, um, pursuing and implementing sustainability approaches um, at at, at all levels and and doing that um, from where they sit or from some of these new spots. And so we do that in a way that um, tries to, again, by the reflection of the Voinovich School in this degree, come at it from very different disciplinary perspectives. We have a political scientist, an ecologist, an engineer, a lawyer, we have have, um, uh, instructors who are coming uh, from all these different backgrounds and developing courses. We're using practitioners as city council members uh, who also are focused in this sustainability space as instructors and resources, and then, Uh, Our our alums from the Voinovich School, whether it's the Environmental Studies Program or the Public Administration Program, these are are folks who have um, uh, a diversity of backgrounds and experiences, and they are, too, uh, working through what um, these changes mean for them. And so it is this reflection of the need for constant learning and um, adding tools to the toolbox. Uh, So it ranges from uh, entrepreneurship to developing adaptation plans to environmental leadership, which you know is really just about leadership with, uh, in this case, a uh, one adjective uh, in front of it, but really our our kind of core principles and how we build teams, work as teams, understand that no, uh, no office or no discipline has all the answers, and it's about that collaborative uh, response that is so critically important as we as we engage stakeholders from a wide variety of uh, perspectives.
1: So I think a lot of people perhaps who are in leadership or they're looking to be leaders in their organization are looking around and thinking, is there anything I can do? Is there anything we can do better? How do we just get started? Uh, but then they're saying, I don't have time to get a master's degree in something like this. I, I just want to Get an overview. Are there are there courses you can tap into to maybe learn how to frame the issues that that you're facing, that your organization is uh, facing, with without committing yourself to uh, another degree?
0: Yes. No. Absolutely. And that's critically important innovation that's that is more and more common and is present with with uh, what we have with this um, sustainability, security, and resilience focus, which is we have – it can be broken up into three separate certificates, which are just three courses apiece. And given that we have them uh, continually running through the year, so one can enter three times a year into the program and the course uh, carousel, um, and that they are a single course at a time for seven weeks at a time, it literally um, then from a certificate perspective can be – Something that people do literally in half a year, uh, and then those if they are interested and continue to want to engage have the ability to add one, two, and then ultimately a third certificate, add a capstone, and then there's a master. So we have that way for people to plug in how, um, and when, and on what topics. Uh, that flexibility that reflects again the priority on those who who literally do have day jobs, right? And um, and are looking to add these skills.
1: This challenge of climate change and environmental um, devastation in all kinds of places is so complex. It's hard to get your mind around it. It it feels to me though that it's like a big giant jigsaw puzzle. And you know, with a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, it doesn't matter where you start. I always like to do the frame around the puzzle. Not everybody does that. Some people like to pick out a particular color or something, but once you start putting in um, the pieces one by one, all of a sudden uh, you build up some momentum. And I think in terms of whether you're making a career shift or you're thinking about developing the sensibility about these issues in the context of where you're already working, uh, the the trick sometimes is um, just to pick up uh, a couple of those pieces and 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 start working. This doesn't matter where you begin. Would would you kind of agree that it's like that? You can start anywhere, and pretty soon you'll find your path. And not just yeah. your master's program, but just in general, becoming more familiar with the challenges.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that is a key to just even kind of coming into this topic, because I think one of the challenges we have is it is often framed as such a massive problem that has so much complexity, um, that is so big, so overwhelming, that it is in fact disempowering and discouraging. And there's... um, great damage done and if it is kind of uh, all gloom and doom and catastrophism and it's so big that we're, we're all doomed, um, that that's actually quite counterproductive to the goal of of redressing the challenges and, and making ourselves more resilient. And so in that way, A, um, no scientist or um, participant in this discussion has the whole picture, not even close. And so I've had the great privilege of of working on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the current U.S. National Climate Assessment. And the value of that is that they are lots of people brought together because they have different expertise and it's that combination. And so working with others um, is is critical. And then the other, as I I mentioned with the the approach of bringing together older adults and climate resilience, there are so many of the kind of very familiar priorities, really, uh, for us in our day-to-day lives where the, there is both uh, threat and opportunity. Uh, transportation, how we move around, where we live, how we live, um, uh, our, our questions around uh, health and ensuring health, our community engagement and communication. These are all areas that we, we engage with and work on every day. And so it's not um, that it's tackling an entirely new topic. Uh, but it's understanding that we have to understand that things may be different in the future, and so we need to, in some ways, not just rest on our assumptions of um, uh, what's happened in the past is necessarily in the future, and that whether that is in our backyard, our neighborhoods, our communities, or lobbying at a state or a national level, engaging uh, overseas in the in in the the kind of the international dialogue, these are all things that. Are accessible and um, have points of entry that don't require us to try to wrap our heads around the entire uh, issue.
1: It's it's a wealth of opportunities, and if we get over being intimidated, we all can find a way in. Now, when I was um, studying up on your updated bio before today, because I, of course, I've been following you and we've been knowing each other for a long time. But when I was looking through all of your Many achievements. I've noticed uh, that you've written a lot about something that does not seem like it's accessible to just about anybody, and that is environmental peacekeeping or peacemaking. What is that? And, and what is involved in how can we have more of it? It sounds like a good thing.
0: <laughs> well, um, yeah. So uh, when I Got into this uh, set of issues. Like I said, it came at it from a political science and international relations perspective back in the back in the '90s. And suddenly, with the end of the Cold War, there was space for discussing what is what is it going to look like in an international security context, and then issues that that um, were newly looked at were kind of scarce resources and our competition around them and whether we there was going to necessarily be even conflict around them and in some instances we see that it's a really complex dynamic relationship but it didn't really give us an action agenda it told us what to look out for and worry about from a threat perspective but it didn't ask the other opposite question and so a number of us tried to turn that logic of our shared interdependence on a water resource or air resource or forests or fisheries, and understand that not as something that necessarily in a deterministic fashion brings us into conflict, but actually can be an avenue for dialogue, for trust building, for confidence building, and ultimately hopefully for peace building. And so since so 20 years ago now when um, uh, a couple of us published a book called Environmental Peacemaking. Uh, we have been proactively uh, engaged with a broad international community um, here in the U.S. And, and, and overseas in trying to find ways that the logic of interdependence um, brings us together. So, for example, even in, in highly conflictual settings, say in the Middle East, for example, you have really dynamic programs that are bringing together communities uh, for, at, at the youth level, at the schools level, and doing basic water, sanitation, and hygiene programs on two sides of a community border. Um, and they do that because kids get sick on both sides of the border if the waste water is not treated. And that logic of interdependence then does some ba- fairly basic public health interventions, but also is an avenue for discussion and dialogue across those lines of conflict. And is it going to solve all the larger uh, Palestinian-Israeli conflict issues? No. Is it going to provide an avenue to improve the lives in those communities and have ways that they can work together That had they not pursued that environmental peacemaking, peace-building opportunity? Um, yeah, I think the answer is that there are um, our means to take advantage of that kind of fundamental interdependence that these resources ignore political boundaries um, and that we're mutually uh, interdependent on them. And that gives us some avenues. It's obviously very context and place-specific and issue-specific, but it's one that um, I'm very proud that we've played a small part in uh, inserting some of those ideas into activities at the United Nations and different national national government efforts, as well as some very, very local uh, efforts uh, around the world. And it continues to grow with a professional association and a new journal and such. And so we'll have opportunities for continued learning and, and uh, in part, try to get over the the question we always get: What works, and what's the perfect way to do it? And we say you have to experiment and try, and then we'll we'll have a better understanding. And so we're pushing that uh, pushing. That it,
1: well, it's a it's a fascinating approach, and it illustrates that no matter where you are, what issues you're facing, it is related. That issue, whatever it is, is related to the environment and the need to address climate issues. Well, gosh. Uh, time has gone fast. We're getting close to running out of it. But before we leave, Jeff, I I want to refocus on um, learning again and on um, our listeners out there who might be thinking, gosh, um, either I'm young in my career and I want to prepare for a career related to uh, the environment or I'm in the middle of my career and I wonder if I could shift either to a different role in the organization where I am, or maybe an entirely um, reimagined career. So if people are thinking about getting ready to, to get an interesting job down the road, do you have any suggestions other than the, uh, your online master's programs? I know for many people, that's a good starting point. But aside from that, how, how does somebody um, start to prepare for a, a career which will give them an opportunity to Mm -hmm. address climate and environmental issues.
0: Sure. Well, I I would have a couple words of advice. One, um, somehow overcome the tyranny of the inbox, whether that's your email inbox, whether that's the inbox on your desk with the the kind of assignments at work. Um, We need to overcome um, the immediate crowding out the important. And so setting aside time to learn outside The specific focus and tasks that you need to do um, and overcome that tyranny of the inbox. Uh, Really practice proactively developing peripheral vision. So you need to be focused on what's in front of you. But there's so many things that are, um, even by saying they're in the periphery, that kind of suggests that they're less important. They're hugely important. And things, the dynamics that are coming with a warmer world are going to have some surprises and some uh, kind of very predictable uh, implications for all our portfolios. And so understanding that we can't just look at what's in front of us, we have to develop proactive peripheral vision and understand that that that's critical. And then I think finally, knowing that... um, it's, it can't be done alone and can't be done alone by a single person, by a single organization, a single approach and discipline. And so really seeking out um, and getting out of one's comfort zone in terms of a knowledge area or a practice area and, and finding that, in, in fact, that there is so much that is relevant, so much is accessible, that there are ways to engage in, outside your immediate uh, cone in in ways that are um, understandable, meaningful, and can um, ultimately help you in what you are focusing on. And so I think developing those skills or taking those approaches are critically important in tackling the many challenges that we have today.
1: Wow. Um, That really lays out all the possibilities. And in my mind, let me see if I can sum this up. So... It's not just about what's on your to-do list. If you want to start working toward a career shift or career development that includes uh, environmental uh, issues, focus on learning things that are not on your to-do list and build your network. Start interacting with a wider range of people. And those two things, learning and networking, are always a good way to prepare for a, a career shift. So I, I think um, you set it up pretty well. Thanks so much, Jeff, for uh, uh, joining us today and um, for all the work you're doing on these very important issues.
0: Well, thank you, Bev. It's always a privilege to, to, to
1: have a chat. So thanks so much. Today we've been talking with Jeff DeBelco about career opportunities that might allow you to help fight climate change. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that the world of higher education is changing rapidly. And whatever your age or background, there are many new ways to prepare for a big career shift, including to fields that might really matter to you. Thanks for listening to Jazz About Work, and if you enjoy our show, please give us a good rating and come back soon.